By the end of this podcast, you'll discover why Ten Hag's in-game management deserves more criticism and whether Foden is the heir apparent to Kevin De Bruyne. Welcome to The Knobcast, a podcast giving City and United fans their weekly fix of football analysis and debate with a focus on banter rather than bias. In today's podcast, we are going to be discussing Manchester City's very impressive 1-0 win over Newcastle and in particular the role that Phil Foden played in that victory. Uh, conversely, we'll also be chatting about Manchester United's 2-0 defeat versus Spurs, whether Ten Hag deserves a bit more criticism for his interesting use of uh, players, maybe not necessarily in their correct positions, and we'll be having a wider discussion about City, on the one hand, seeming to get it right in terms of playing players in the correct positions, whereas uh, Ten Hag and United may be uh, struggling for whatever reason. We'll get into the We'll uh, deep dive into that in more detail. As always, I'm joined by my Manchester United fan and co-host, Gasky. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, Gasky, because my team got three points. Hooray! Boo. Boo. <laughs> uh, we will get into the United display, Gasky. Don't you worry, you can have a... Uh, you, you can outpour your emotions there and i've got many thoughts on the game as well but let's start with the the reigning defending uefa super cup champions uh manchester city who after a really tricky game uh in really hot conditions in athens no kevin de bruyne there was no bernardo silva uh, there were question marks over ribbon diaz there was no john stones um city were Never really in danger of losing this game, Gaskin. In fact, before we even talk about City, let's let's talk about the Newcastle side of things just momentarily. Because there's not going to be many occasions where you go to the Etihad. So me, for example, I was really nervous going into the game because of all the injuries I've uh, discussed because yeah. of the Super Cup. And I also, guess Newcastle on the back of a very exactly, good result. Exactly. Yeah. You know, the new signs of Tenal is popping off. They've just battered Villa. Confidence will be flowing. You couldn't really pick a better time if you Newcastle to face City. And yeah. it was really disappointing. I appreciate City are really good, Gasky, but uh, it was... Were you a bit disappointed in uh, like Newcastle? Yeah, yeah but uh, this I think I feel like this is the problem Newcastle had last season for a lot of it. Even though the game against City last season, I think it was the first game, was it like 4-3 or something like that, or whatever it was? 3-all. 3-all, uh, the 3-all one. Um... They just, I just, the only problem with Newcastle's lineup for me is they lack that attacking threat in terms of a midfield three of what Jalinton, Bruno, and Tonali doesn't scream. We're gonna, we're gonna create hundreds of chances. Mm. You know, when you've got players like Isak and Wilson up front, and I feel like they just, they lack that kind of like obviously against Villa, they put five in and it's like perfect, but it seems to be one or the other with them. You know. Whereas, you know, City will go and beat a team 2-0, fine, cool. Beat Newcastle 1-0, great. And then they'll go and batter, you know, teams you know teams like Luton and Sheffield United, who you'd expect. And Burnley, like they did last week. But yeah, that seems to what he lacks. And then they're very organised, Newcastle, and they're very good at, you know, you're not basically not conceding. But they don't counter that with the attacking threat. Mm, yeah, definitely. They're definitely missing a sort of... A Phil Foden-like figure. Yeah, exactly. Literally, literally a 10 Someone who's going to sit in that gap who can rotate, who can replace one of them three midfielders, and who can just connect the dots between the attack. You've got all the dots connecting between your defence and your midfield, but there just seems to be a bit of a gap. I think higher up. Yeah, and that that missing link, that sort of like a number ten type yeah. player, uh, missing from Newcastle. But on the other side of things, sitting this is what I really want to talk about today 
is Phil Foden, who was the man of the match by a fair margin, obviously got the assist, uh, should have had a, a number more assists. And we talked about uh, last podcast, Gasky, about the Kevin De Bruyne injury, Howard City Cope, other players need, needing to step up, you know, and we specifically mentioned, you know, is Foden now ready to play that midfield role week in, week out? It's a really pleasant surprise to see that Pep is giving, putting faith in Foden. He's played him in the midfield every single game yeah. so far this season, and he has been flourishing. Well, if, put it this way, if that game was a dress rehearsal, it was the perfect dress rehearsal, you know? For, for the coming season. Maybe it sounds harsh, but maybe the De Bruyne injury is the best thing to happen for, for City and potentially Foden because he can do, you know, De Bruyne's what, 32 now? Foden's got a decade on him to go and be the be the face that mid that number 10 in midfield. He's capable. We all know he's capable, but it's when he gets the chance, can he take his chances? And he is. Yeah, definitely. Against Arsenal in the Community Shield, it was his heart. It was his like half turn, which like got the team up the pitch. Super Cup was, you know, not as good, but to be fair, no one was really that good for City. And then Newcastle just absolutely ran the show. I don't, I, I can't really recall him like losing the ball, making a mistake. He just seemed so comfortable and at home. And it's not, and also from like an England perspective, this is brilliant because it's finally making use of his skills. Like we all know, like Foden's like come out multiple times saying, I'm pretty sure my best position is in. The middle it's where yeah. he can make the best use of his close control of his range of passes of his ability to drive at plays through the middle and even though he's very good when he's played out wide in my opinion i think he's almost wasted out wide and he can do so much more damage against opposition sides if he's allowed to play in the middle by picking up those pockets of space um you know created by you no know, hole and stretching the play and you know uh, overloading the midfield so it's, it was a really yeah. good, really good showcase. He's, he's too good to play out wide. He's too I good on the so. ball to to do that. Like wingers have their own style, which is usually you know being able to cut in, being able to put a good cross in. Foden's too good with the ball at his feet and too good in tight, you know, in tight turns mm. to just be left out wide. Yeah, you exactly. know, just play him in the middle, create the space, and let him do his thing. Yeah, a player like that in the middle can unlock a defense very very easily and can create so much. It, it, I think he created seven chances on his own in that game, uh, w- which is a ridiculous. That's, that, is a, that is a crazy number. And also considering the opposition, Newcastle, who are brilliant defensively last season. Uh, it, was a nightmare to, it was a nightmare to put the ball past Newcastle defence. And if you've created seven on your own in the game, exactly. Sure, maybe 1-0 one, one really flattered them. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and I think on another day, at Hall and... Holland still played well because he created space for others the little, uh, but his finishing boots weren't on H- had they been I think Foden could have been on for you know like three or eight, maybe even four yeah. assists in that game based on the number of brilliant chances he was able yeah. to create and as I say you want those players in the middle where the play is the most congested you want players who can unlock teams that's exactly what Foden can be and I do really see him being the the next, the successor to Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah. Um, and look, is his game perfect? No, obviously not. But he's only 23 years old now. So 22, 23. So he's he's only going to get better in that role if you play he's, him he's in not that at his role. Peak yet. He's not at his peak yet. And Which is scary. At the age of, I guess the advantage you have of a young player is you can chop and change positions when needed because they're not peak yet. They're not, you don't need to just 
glue them down in a spot. Whereas it's coming to that point now where you glue them down and that's his position for the next five, six years, which is which I think is coming up. You know, in the next couple of years, that'll be his position. And he'll play it every week, play 90 minutes. Perfectly. Yeah, definitely. We saw, we saw shade, you know, glimpses and shades of it last season, coming going in a Champions League final and, and being trusted to play in that role. Yeah. And it's maybe, as you mentioned, Gaskin, maybe the Kevin De Bruyne injuries escalating that process. Yeah, and let's hope, let's hope as well for both of us that Southgate sees it as well. Well, that's the thing, Hopefully. especially, yeah. I mean, we'll get on to, you know, like, you know, Mason Mount at United, but if potentially Mason Mount struggling this season, maybe Jordan Henderson now in Saudi Arabia, he's got to play three midfielders. Obviously, you know, Rice and Bellingham are two of them nailed on. I just, I just don't see how Foden can't. If, if he continues but, but, to continue if, like this. Yeah, like, right. I just feel like, right, I know we're going across to England here, but I just feel like Rice, Belling and Foden is just the perfect chemistry for a perfect midfield. And what, earliest player there is 24. Mm. It, it's crazy. Yeah, it, 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 in my opinion, that would be our best midfield. Yeah. Is it perfect? No, but I think it's better than any other any yeah, of our exactly. other options Definitely. um yes yeah, so uh i still think we need another midfielder though in fairness just for for a depth perspective obviously we're in for pakatar but you know there was a whole issue there uh, with the um alleged betting situation so i don't know who city can uh, apparently according to the sources city will be going in for someone else in the middle in addition to doku on the otherwise, wings otherwise you might get to a situation where rodri has played over a hundred games in two seasons which is not right that's not right. And also with De Bruyne out, currently our only senior offensive midfielder is Foden, really. Yeah. So that's a bit of an issue there. As much as I love Foden, want him to you know, play in that role as much as possible. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a human. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so sometimes we might need to play him out wide, you know, like if a winger needs a rest, for example. Yeah. So that is definitely not sustainable in that respect. Um, so yeah, so uh, Foden, it, obviously the main was the main event. And I don't see why he can't just keep going from strength to strength because... I mean, I mean, I probably shouldn't be using like, you know, online social media for footballing opinions, but people online and it just football fans generally have a very short memory. They only seem to remember sort of like the last season of a player. So, for example, they look at Foden, who struggled last season due to injuries and appendicitis needing surgery. And then maybe they think, oh, you know, he's not really cracked. He's not really kicked on. You know, is is he actually going to live up to his potential? And then he goes and ha- has this start to the season every, that yeah, he is that's doing. Yeah, let's just say every, every team has that. They, they, they'll soon throw in the towel. Like I've seen, I've seen Chelsea fans have already thrown in the towel and that Jackson up front after two games. So it's just like you know, they're just patience. Yeah, patience. Absolutely. Yeah, and and that's and I hope I'm sure that'll be the, been the message from Pep to Foden. Have patience. Your time will come. Uh, it would have been nice to have it in better circumstances rather than a, a De Bruyne injury. Uh, but if it means that Foden can lock on that midfield spot, I'll I'll take it, to be honest. Uh, I guess the only question is, Gasky, do you think that when when De Bruyne comes back, let's say January, let's assume for argument's sake, it's been, you know, like Foden and, you know, like Kovacic in in the midfield, those two sorts of like eights and tens. Do you think Guardiola trusts Foden enough to play Foden and De Bruyne in the midfield at the same time in most games? Or do you think that he's going to play one or the other? Um, I think I think it'll depend on the situation because it'll take it'll take De Bruyne a few weeks to get back up to batch speed. So I think him De Bruyne playing eight at eight is quite risky, mm. you know, considering he's that, that's the leggy position and he's just come back from injury. 
So I think I think I think Guardiola's happy just for De Bruyne just to play minutes, potentially, and then maybe come April would be like potentially where he'd play, start you know playing more and more minutes and potentially starting. I just think with De Bruyne's injury, I just think it's too risky just to start throwing him in at eight. Yes, because that, that that's your leggy position. That's the position where you're running, mm. and yeah, I just don't see him doing it. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting point. Yeah, maybe easing De Bruyne in by having more of a runner alongside him, as you say, maybe someone like a Cova or or even Calvin Phillips. Who knows if he's got a future at City? Yeah. Uh, probably not. Uh, Tell you who does have a future at City, though, Gasky. Yoshko Gavardiol, who, um, who I fell in love with before we even signed him. But he's, all, again, it's early days, but he's already demonstrating how... Yeah. It's just easily slotted in. Him, him and Kovacic, actually, they've both easily slotted into the City side. It's quite impressive, really. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he, weren't, he wasn't bad in the midweek, but I think, I think it was a bit of an iffy game anyway against Sevilla. But just, just that one moment where he stopped a whole counter-attack on his own, he's just an example of, that's what you'd expect when you spend that much money. You'd expect someone who can just do something that you've never seen before. Mm. Like, literally three of them, and you just patiently just stopped it. Which yeah. is, you know... Which is which is incredible, and the fact that you know it's 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 as if like City of building this team, and you feel like the left that left back left centre back type position is the iffy one. Ake, you know, as good as Ake is, I don't think he's good enough to be that starter for City every week in week out. You know, where City want to be the best team in the world and the best team ever, but Vardyal's the perfect player. Like, is a player as there was a, there was a player out there that can play that left back position and merge into a three at the back. Mm. It's just, just landing perfectly on the lap. Absolutely. And yeah, and Kovacic just slotted in perfectly as well. And he's yep. proved me wrong because I mean he is still not as good as Gundogan, that's for sure. Well, the Kov- Kovacic signing was always an odd one because, but but you watch him at Chelsea, when Chelsea play, him and Jorginho would just sit there and pass the ball between them for 90 minutes if they wanted to. So asking him to do a bit more is odd because he's thinking, why would you get him? Because he doesn't do much more. But he's, but he's shown that he can do more. Mm. And it was kind of Chelsea holding him back from doing that. Genuinely, yeah. Yeah, and I think mate, that that's I guess that's what that's why I was comparing. Not that he was bad at Chelsea by any means, but oh. it, it, I'm I'm pretty sure he was not doing what he's doing he, at City. He does because he, he did what he did with Jorginho. You know, they just they just stood in midfield together and passed the ball about. It was just so slow building up, and I guess that's where you're the fan when you're like, why they signing him and why Guardiola sat in the chair because he mm. obviously sees more of it and sees what he's capable of doing, which yeah. is clearly that. Yeah, exactly, and. All, all, if I had any criticism of Kovacic, it would just be that, I mean, what Gundogan was brilliant for was his end product in terms of goals, chance yeah. creation. If Kovacic, we, said that, we said that last week, didn't we? We said, I think yeah. we said last week, all the week before, like the one thing he doesn't have is that attacking yeah. threat that Gundogan brought, which Gundogan proved, uh, proved at the weekend with Barcelona with an assist. Yeah, yeah. That's just, that, yeah, that's just what uh, Kovacic lacks, which which will come. I mean, imagine, imagine playing, what, two, three years playing that kind of deep, eight slash six roll and having to then go and tell someone you're going to play in bit towards 10 mm. complete change so give yeah. him half a season and then I think it'd be right absolutely and you just mentioned Gundogan there we will be discussing you know each, each respective club's window uh, when, when the window has slammed shut because so far yeah, I'm not necess- don't necessarily think it's been the best window for City but that's something to discuss in depth uh, at a later date um, is there anything else I would like to uh, say about the City game? Uh, really, yeah, really happy with the win. I, I mentioned before, wasn't confident going in. Three points is all that matters. Another a back-to-back clean sheet. So as it stands, unless Palace get a clean sheet tonight against 
Arsenal, I mean that City, will, after two games, will be the only team to have like a 100% perfect defensive record. Um, the current, it's early days, Gasky, the current record for, you know, Premier League goals conceded against is 15, which is like Mourinho's Chelsea in, in oh, yeah. 405. Yeah. This is, in my opinion, the best in terms of like, you know, City's sort of like 3-2, 2-3 shape, you know, whatever you want to call it for the build-up. Let's say, you know, Gavardiol, Diaz, Akanji, Rodri, Stones, if everyone's fully fit. In my or Walker for Akanji or whatever. In my opinion, that is the strongest defensive unit currently in world football, which might allow Foden and De Bruyne to play together. Is there a chance, Gasky, that we might see the that that Chelsea record maybe not beaten because 15 goals is insane, but maybe well, might City come close to it this season, do you think? Or, or, or am I being I mean, too optimistic? There's, there's, I think it's one of the, it's like the old uh, Invincibles at Arsenal. Like you can't, you can't say you can see it happening again, you know, but I guess when you, if any of these crazy records are going to get beaten, I think it would be that one. <clears throat> and I think, I don't know. I think, I think football nowadays is so attack minded more mm. that, Keeping more clean sheets. I just don't looking at looking at the strength of the Premier League. There's so many strong attacking teams. I just find, I just think it'll be very difficult. If they do, it'll be incredible. It'll be absolutely incredible if they get anywhere near. If they less than twenty, would be incredible in this day and age. Yeah. So if they get less than twenty, that'll be that that'll be incredible. Because just based on, like, I mean, to be fair, like, they've just gone to play against Newcastle, who you know who just put five past Villa, and you know gets clean sheet. So. You never know. Early days, yeah. I mean, Arsenal fans in November were talking about Invincibles version two when we saw what happened to them. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm j- I'm just having a look at uh, mm. Man City's you know a defensive record under Pep just to see what the best season is. And I, I'm surprised. I didn't actually realize it was that good in that season. So, City's best defensive record was in the 21-22 season. It's actually the same as Liverpool's under Pep, where we only conceded 26 goals. Um, and that, that was that, a couple of seasons just re- That just represents how crazy that Liverpool stat is. That is Chelsea's that story. Mm. Yeah. The fact that they that they conceded 11 less than that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that is meant. So maybe they won't beat it. But, you know, oh, oh no, sorry. I, I tell a lie. The domestic treble winning season, where actually Liverpool had a better record. City, uh, Liverpool conceded 22, City conceded 23. So 23 is the current 23 one to beat, which to is, beat. Uh, which could happen, you know, but that was a 98 point season. So uh, yeah. I don't, I, I don't see it being that, but Hey, stranger things have happened. They have, they have. And speaking of strange things happening, um, or maybe not United lost Gasky at hmm. Spurs two. Nil. Now, we talked a lot last week about penalty controversy. So let's briefly touch on that here because I don't think we need to go over it too much. But I think we probably both agree it was a penalty. Yes. I think the issue I have, we'll just quickly go through this, right? The issue I have with the handball situation is the arguments always is it deliberate? Step one, which, let's be fair, no player deliberately handballs it unless you're on the line and you've been an idiot. And two, is distance based on power of shot, which I think is a lot of BS. If your arms away from your body and it's unnatural, it's one of those really sorry, mate, unlucky, sit your hand, I'm going to have to give a penalty. You know, you don't have to be like, he's, a bl- he's done that, it's a penalty. He's, Ganacho's had a shot and Romero's hands out of his body, right? Okay, it looks like he's kind of, you know, moved across and with his arm out. Oh, he's moved his arm out to kind of like, you know, balance himself out. 
Um, yeah, okay, you moved your arm out. Unlucky, it's a penalty. Mm. You know, it should have been a penalty. And it's, and let's be fair, it was predicted for the last week that this would happen based on the bold decision that Wolves didn't get. And it's happened. People always argue now, oh, you know, you didn't get one, Wolves didn't get one, so this is what happens. Two wrongs don't make a right. Indeed. Says, this is, it's the whole inconsistency issue. The fact that like, you had Dermot Gallagher on Sky Sports who was arguing that that's not a penalty, but the one in the women's final was. Says, it's like, look, I says, one in the women's final, I thought it was a penalty because she's kind of gone to block and he's tapped her fingers. And this one, he's done the same thing. He's moved across, he's put his arm out and he's blocked a shot. Shot's mm. going towards goal and he's blocked it with his hand. And says, un- un- you know, he's not done it on purpose. It's a complete accident, but unlucky, penalty. Yeah. So, yeah. Indeed. Uh, I guess it's just a little bit tricky to assess because I guess that, you know, in terms of like a, an assessment of a game with the Wolves won last week, we could probably say, well, Wolves would probably draw because it was right at the end. So you can't really respond to it. We don't really know how game state would have changed yeah. had United taken it, scored it, whatever. But yeah, I, I, I can understand why it wasn't given. But in my opinion, it is a penalty. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the actual game now, Gasky, mm-hmm. because even though they were denied a penalty, um, United still should have not had to rely on the penalty and they created enough to score the, in this game. The, the United have created, I think they've got third best like chance created statistics in the last two, first two games and scored once. Mm. The close, the close, Brighton have scored eight. Yes. And they've got, I think like point three more than them or something like that. The problem is the same as last season is in front of goal. Because games, this game is a prime example of if you don't take the lead, a team will go and get a goal and then you end up behind and you end up chasing the game, which is exactly what this game happened. United should have been 2 0 up at half time, you know, based on that. Bruno missed an absolute sitter. Yeah, that was you awful. Know? Rashford, Rashford weren't quite, it wasn't a Bruno sitter, but it was, you know, simple chances that they're missing. You know, the, you know they could have been 2 3 0 up and then the game would have been out of sight. But what happened was, it was, I wouldn't smash and grab's harsh to say, but it was, you know, close enough. Then the game just completely started opening up and then they went, they lost 2-0 because they should have already took the lead. Mm. So it's a lot better than the, like the Wolves' performance was horrendous. Like for 90 minutes, yes. they, were, they were poor. But for, for 45, I felt for the first half, you could see where they, where they were going with it. And it made you think, this 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 setup that he's going with will, will work. And it, I think it will work eventually. But... What they need to be able to do for 90 minutes if they're going to play with Mount, Bruno and Casemiro midfield is keep the pissing ball. Mm. Pass the ball. Don't pass, you know, some of the passes are that loose and just crap that it just completely ruins any flow. And then Casemiro ends up isolated on his own and he can't do it on his own. He's 32, what is he, 31 years old. He's not that, he's not a type of midfielder who can, who's nimble enough to go from left to right like what like Kante would do in his prime. So he's not going to be able to do it on his own. So if you're losing the ball and then positions, whereas, you know, like we like the way City do it, or City will lose the ball and then Rodri could be on his own and it'd be fine because they'll press and they'll win it back and they won't lose the ball through passing because they're, you know, they're perfectly good at it. It's, it's to me, people, people throw the dummies out and they'll strop and then they'll, you know, United fans will argue, you know, he's not working, you need to change it up. I don't think he needs to change that much, personally. I just think the, the players need to learn how to play simple football, to be honest, to start with. Mm. You know, how to pass the bloody ball, to, you know. And then also, like, the whole positioning situation. Like, stop chopping and changing it and leave. Instead of moving Rashford to nine, put him in his best position in his left wing. Mm. Well, we'll, we'll, t- we'll touch on that yeah. uh, uh, later. Uh, j- just just before we do, uh, it was definitely... Uh, I know it's, it's, it's fair enough for, us to, for you to be down about it because you obviously lost, but 
There was there were some positives in the early stages oh, because they were it was a better performance than Wolves. That's for sure. Is t- the one thing the one thing I feel I can see from the first two games is the the pressing in the final third is is I think is very very good. They're very good at making teams rush and making them give it away, forcing them into errors. But they need to capitalize on it. Mm. That's the big issue. If they again they did it against Wolves, against Wolves, I think I think the stat came up in the first forty minutes, which was to, in Wolves final in Wolves third, they overturned possession nine times, which is crazy to United. You know, any other game they'd be four 0 up. Mm. You know, simply and they'd be battered them. That's what they need to do. They need to start battering teams when they've got all this pressure, and not letting teams give them a sniff. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, so if I was a United fan, I wouldn't be overly concerned about the offensive side of things because you know if. It, the goals goals will come if you keep creating chances yeah. that's fine as soon as I, I honestly think as soon as Hoyland comes in and you've got an actual striker who's quite you know a built striker who's going to bully centre-backs and Rashford can finally get back to his best position I'm quite confident that will, the goals will start flowing as soon as as soon as a couple start going in I think it'll be fine the only issue is is when it doesn't go right when it doesn't it's the same I feel like I'm repeating myself in last season when it doesn't go right it goes terrible and that's the issue you know, they're not going to be perfect at 90 minutes every match. But when it goes a little bit wrong, it seems to just go completely wrong. It seems like the whole plan's out the window. You know, players end up all the way out of position. You know, players aren't marking who they should be. And they look crap. They look like they should be relegated. Mm. And I just don't get how it can go from one to the other. Yeah. And it, so, if I, yeah, so if I was a United fan, as you've just correctly put there, wouldn't be concerned about the offensive display. The defensive display, however... And in particular, in terms of defending against counterattacks and transitions, is it, it was an issue against Wolves. And even though they played better against Spurs than against Wolves, it was still a massive issue yeah. from, from, from what from what I from what I saw. Because it, it all comes from the, the the just losing the ball in the final third. Like you, you when you're playing with that midfield, you're gonna there's gonna be space behind, and that's that's just how it is. But you should be when you're in that position. If you're going to turn over possession, you should be winning it back straight away. But teams are just teams are just stretching play, and then you, they're all out of position. You've got Casemiro on his own, mm. and then you you know your fullbacks are pushing up, and then they're not it's they're not moving it quick enough, and yeah. then they're losing the ball, and then they're just getting it's like it's like watching a cup game after the 85th minute, yeah, in like the 60th minute, and it's just like it's like no, I says I, I just feel like I feel like you just need to. Un- settle down a bit like doing it doing it for minute one and going pushing teams back is great but I feel like the I think Tenag needs to put the reins on Mount a little bit and just be like or, or Bruno either or pull them back a bit you know the like they're playing like five in attack on, mm. the, on the defensive line which is cool but bring one back a bit because the, I think it kind of happened against uh, Spurs the way it did against Wolves as soon as Everson came on he sat a bit deeper the teams were the, the counter just stopped it broke it completely because there's just that one extra man. That's I feel like they just need to pull one back a bit. Yeah, and well, well, definitely because it was too easy for Spurs to go through the middle. Like I remember, like a Madison run in particular, where he just yeah. like got that, past Mount too easily. Most of that, most of that though, just came to me like he was just shite tackling. Like they've never tackled in their life before. Mm. Like half the time, it's just like they stick a foot out. Oh well, well. And it's just yeah. like, come on, win it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's too easy to go through the middle. Casemiro is too static and not mobile enough. He needs support. But also, yeah. like the, the wings are also a massive issue. It, it was happening over and over and over again. The fullback, whether it was Dallow or Luke Shaw, I mean, Luke Shaw, like in the first half in particular, got caught out a couple of times stepping up for some reason. But it kept happening over and over again where the fullbacks were found themselves one-on-one 
with the Spurs winger, so whether it was Kulishevsky or or Son, and then their fullback would overlap, so it's a two on one. So that the the wing support from Anthony and Ganacho is just basically that's, non-existent. That, that's the issue, isn't it? Like the, they're they're coming so deep to collect it to attack, and they're not getting back to do the defensive duties. Yeah, which is unacceptable. It, let's be honest. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You, you know, don't run back to go and get the ball to attack, but they don't come back to defend. Mm. And, You've got to uh, do both. And, and for I mean, for the first goal, like I feel like Ganacho should. Oh, I don't. I don't know whose fault it is really, Shaw or Ganacho. But there's a miscommunication there. I think like Shaw basically tells Ganacho, "You go out to him, try to stop the cross." Yeah, he doesn't stop the cross, and and, you, and he gets into a really dangerous area, Kulishevsky, and then uh, Sarsar is able to uh, pop it in. You see, it is it, a lot of it is like a communication issue because I saw Shaw was getting a lot of stick from fans on Twitter blaming him and it's like Ganacho isn't there mm. you know it's this is the whole point like they're attacking they're getting bodies in the box Ganacho should be going to the man yeah really but it's just I just feel like it's just it's like deja vu from last season not as bad as last season but it's just like deja vu in terms of like you, you there's the ideas there but they all seem to need to get on the same wavelength yeah the execution's not there and that as it stands United are too easy to yeah play excuse me they're too easy to play through whether it's in the middle or the, the look the lucky they haven't played a team with with fast attackers yet because if if they were play if they played against Newcastle they'd be slaughtered mm. just for example with the legs they'd be absolutely slaughtered they just need to just need to just need to start with the basics and put the players in their positions I yeah, think, you know, Shaw and Rashford were brilliant last season together. Don't move, don't move Rashford. Just leave him there. Yeah. Well, let's talk you know? about let's talk about the positions now, then, shall we? Because yeah. we were just talking earlier about how you know Foden, you know, as said to being used in what we deem his best position. We're seeing the fruits of it um, by playing. So Rashford isn't a striker. We, we both agree on that. We've talked about yeah. why we he, don't. Even think he that's agrees the case. on that. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't want to be a striker, as far as no, we're aware. He's not a striker. So if you play, if you play Rashford in the middle. You basically that that's that 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 that's a bad position. Basically, it, playing Rashford in the middle isn't just you've got someone who isn't built to be a number nine. Like he's not, he's he's too direct to be a nine, and he's not he's not good enough at like the ball at his feet, close you know close around him. Like like Jackson is for Chelsea. He's very he's a similar build, but he's quite good at, at full pace at keeping the ball you know close to his feet. Rashford's not as good at that as him if I'm not doing that type of role for the centre so you lose that you lose that target man aspect and you don't have someone who's the, the the false nine aspect when you move him you end up not wearing someone in left wing because Ganacho isn't ready to start playing he's 90 not, minutes he? every no. week. he's not he's miles off it he's, he needs to come off the bench for a, for a season like Palestra again yeah they're not good enough Palestra is the only winger who can actually go past a man I actually, I actually think that Ganacho and Anthony both had their opportunities to go past players, and neither of them got past one. And Palestri did. Yeah, and that's what they need to start doing. They need to get past people. If you're gonna have, it's gonna be pointless having Highland up front if they're not gonna get past a man and put the ball in the penalty spot. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be absolutely pointless. But that's what they need to do, rather than go and do a little fancy step over and pass it back. It's yeah. not gonna work. Got, got to put it in the box. Yeah, and by playing Grashford striker and Ganacho left wing, you're basically spiting two positions. Because we've just established that, you know, Ganacho shouldn't be starting left wing. Rashford should be starting exactly, striker. Exactly. Like, I, I hope to see against Forrest if Hoyland will be on the bench, I think, from from what I've read, he should be fit. Start Martial because he's fit. You might Look, he's going to get injured. So you might as well play him while he's fit yeah. before he gets injured. So put him up front and put Rashford back on the on the, uh, on the left. 
Yeah, um, or, or if that's not an option, it doesn't really matter who you play in the middle as long as you well, play Rashford on Sancho, the left. Sancho had a decent pre-season at number nine. Put him back up yeah, there. But, but as, long as, as long as Rashford's on that left, where, he's, where your best player is his best position, don't touch him. Yeah. Just leave him there. And same with Bruno as well. I understand, right? Bruno did play 10 and he started moving him to the right-hand side and putting him out there and figuring it out. Fine, but look, it doesn't work. Because no. Bruno, again, it's, it's it's exactly the same as the Foden situation. He's he's too he's too good. Uh, you know, okay, he didn't have a great game, but you know full well you'll know it with De Bruyne and you'll know it with Foden. They have that one bit of magic. That one pass mm-hmm. will come off. Yeah, we're capable of it. Putting him out wide, stood there. It's just a waste. It's just a waste. It's a waste. And 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 on and in a roundabout way, there are options here in this United squad. Ten Hag didn't have to play. Rashford, and he didn't. He didn't have to play Rashford that's in the middle. That's what I'm he didn't saying. Have to play Bruno oh, out wide. Exactly. Like all he had to do when he realized when Rashford was struggling was put Rashford on the left, bring Martial up front, and then Palistri for Anthony. But he t- I can't remember. I can't remember who he brought on for him. He brought. I think Ericsson came. I think Ericsson came on for Anthony, and he put Bruno out there, and then that didn't work. So he put Mount out there, and it's like it's not going to work. Mm. And he's it, got it to take uh, if, the, uh... if a wing. Yeah, exactly. If a winger hasn't worked, uh, that type of player isn't going to work. So, exactly. So you uh, have to take you have to take the flat there because you try. I get it. You're trying things, but they're not going to work. No, you need to get. They haven't even got Plan A done yet. So don't start throwing Plan B and C in. Yeah, I mean, I, even I, I know that. I never know if I'd be saying this. Maybe it was a mistake selling Fred because you said before that Casemiro needs some sort of support. Whether it's well, I put it this way: it would not surprise me the way that United is run that. Amrabat should have been coming when Fred was sold. They took that long, long to sell Fred and they haven't even got Amrabat in yet and he might be going to Liverpool. So that does not surprise me. Yeah. Because it would make, that's what he needs. Casemiro needs that type of player next to him. Yeah. And I know he's, I know he's not, uh, it seems like Ten Hag wants him out, but you've got him. You might as well use him. Uh, you know, McTominay, again, even he might be an option to start with yeah. Casemiro just, to, just it, to make it less it means, easy to... And it means McTominay's not playing six where he's horrendous, so... Yeah, just, just to make just it... Just the protection. Like, like against Forrest, you, you kind of... Like, we like with Wolves, though, you can play that team and you can play that risky game, but as soon as we Wolves, it didn't work. That's where you just need to change it and be like, right, okay, Mount, Mount drop deeper or Bruno drop a bit deeper, let's just protect it for a bit. Let them run, let them run themselves into a ground and then go and counter them. Yeah. But he doesn't do it. He just let, he, he, I feel like Tanang's decisions are just too slow. He leaves it yeah. miles too late before he decides, I need to change this. It's like, look, it's not working. You're giving teams too many chances. Mm. You know? Definitely. So, so we need, that, that needs to change and change quickly because it was an it improvement, was. but it doesn't help if you sabotage yourself playing plays in the wrong places even exactly. i think even like i thought i thought mason mount had, a, had an all right game to be fair uh, mason mount is becoming a bit of a scapegoat mason yeah. mount has not played poorly at all we, which i didn't understand because uh i i only caught up on the game like the day after the fact so on twitter i saw you know get mason mount out he's rubbish i watched the game especially in the first half i was like he's at the core of every good he's, attacking thing united got, did yeah he's he is that deep runner but because they're just looking for a reason to moan. This is, you, you're not an iPhone, so you won't know. But I've known over the last decade that escape goats is the, is the word for United. They will always look for someone to fire, fire shots at. Yeah. For no reason. Definitely. Simple as that. So. And it's an easy target, I guess. The world we live in. Because it's a new signing and they think, oh, he's coming and he's changed everything. And he's like, he hasn't. This is, what Tana, this is how Tana wants to play. And this, this white style of play will work. But the players need to learn to do the basics first. 
Mm. I mean, I'd be tempted to drop Ganacho, put Rashford on the left, put McTominay on, and then like even like if you could have an actual striker, I mean, it's it's it can't be worse than having Rashford striker Ganacho left. Put Bruno Bru- up there. Put put Mount as a false nine if you need to. Mount, as a temporary Bruno, thing. Yeah, put Mount Bruno as a false nine. He's gonna come. They're gonna come deep anyway, and then. You you play your wingers in. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, you're screwed either way, so you might as well try something which gets Rashford yeah, in his best position and more exactly. midfield security. Let, let, him, let Rashford push, because put it this way, Ganacho's not at the point of his career where he's going to start pushing fullbacks back because he's got the ball. Yeah. Rashford will, so... Exactly. Yeah. But there we go. That that is the uh, That was Spurs 2, Manchester United nil. Not the best start to the season for United, but there is plenty uh, of time to yeah, sort Yeah, they've got more points than Chelsea. Could be worse. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Uh, let's move on to Knobgas, shall we, Gasky, where we ask yes, our dude. Patreon supporters, uh, or they, sorry, our Patreon supporters get to ask us questions. Uh, and Oren's first question, first question, similar to what we've just been disca- discussing, he says, there's been lots of chatter about Ten Hag about his recruitment and recent performances. Do you think Ten Hag deserves the criticism he's been getting or rather other factors out of his control? I think we just touched on that. In my opinion, I, I think we're getting to the stage where he's got to, uh, a more... Scrupulous eye needs to be looked over Ten Hag, and yeah. actual he's, criticism he's, and questions asked. At yeah, this point. he's getting he's getting the squad he wants. It's not quite there yet because let's be honest, United the team's been an absolute mess for what six seven years. It's going to take a lot of work, but we should be seeing a bit of a product sooner rather than like this season. Mm. If we don't see a product by Christmas, then it's an issue. Yeah, and we should be seeing better in-game decision-making no, as exa- well, I think. Ex- Yes, definitely. And like playing, actually playing players in their correct but positions does as this, can. does this also tell you more that there's a, that he doesn't even trust the better players on his bench either? So Maybe. Like, obviously, it's not also, a perfect but, situation. Like, you know, he wants McGuire out, he wants McTominay out. But, but I think, I think I, I, I'm, I'm always positive and I'm always one that's like, get, he, needs, he needs a couple of years. He does, like any manager does. I think every, I think every big manager in the Premier League has had a couple of years. I think, you know, Klopp had about three before he had the team he wanted and he started pushing. It takes time and he needs to get these players out, but the club's not helping when you've got players like Maguire who refuse to leave, Bailly refuses to leave, you know, and the club won't offload, went so many for 30 million and things like that. Just need to let the manager manage. Mm. But with in the current situation, it's very difficult. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Will asks, uh, why does it seem director, director of fo- directors of football understand Recruitment of talent better than managers, even though it's the managers themselves who use the players. Example of this is poor recruitment from Ten Hag and Tuchel at Chelsea. Uh, also, teams like uh, you know a director of football at Arsenal and Man City have much better hit rates on transfers. Uh, I think there's a pretty in my in my uh, I don't know your thoughts on it, Argaski, but in my opinion, it's probably because it's a director of football's main priority and role to know about and scout and you know, players and be concerned yeah. about that. Well, the, man- the manager won't be involved because the manager is dealing with what's on the pitch. So the director of football will probably deal with the scouts and deal with what they've got and what they can bring. And he's, he's probably, the director of football would have been the reasoning for Dugunduan leaving probably because he's like, we need to keep this squad fresh. You know, we're not offering big contracts to players above the age of 30 because we're offering, you know, then we're going to be paying people, you're going to end up in a United situation when you're paying through the roof for someone who's not good enough, who's aging and, you know, he's not going to leave. Yeah. And let's be, so that's the kind of job. Let's be honest. If, if you are someone like, you know, Guardiola, who's like, you know, every single week for the focus is on and the, and the pressure is on, 
you know, the next game and all your attention's going into how we're going to manage the next game and coaching the team, you probably, you don't, you're not going to have as much time to think about, yeah. you know, doing all these intense scouting missions. You'll obviously know like some of the bigger names, you know, across Europe or whatever, but you know, you, you, you're probably not really aware about, you know, what brilliant South American talents yeah. are coming out at River Plate because it's not it, your job. It, yeah, exactly. Put it this way. I don't think Graham Potter knew who Matoma was. For example, you know, yeah. they're not. He's not going to have that. You know, oh, you know, what's going to happen is the the director of football, the scouts are going to deal with it, and they're going to. Graham Potter might go. I need this. They need this profile of player, and they'll give you. They'll see who would who would come, mm. and then and then it's like okay, they'll give him a contract, and then it's like go and play, and then they go to the good. Yeah. Some teams are just very good at it compared to others. Yeah, and I think there's a balance. I also don't think it's one or the other. Like City, for example, some players are like, you know, players that Pep recommends and wants, like he gives like a list. Um, yeah. So I think Gavardio, for example, he was a player he specifically mentioned and said, I, I want I think the, him. The big, the big players will be. Exactly. They'll, they'll, be, they'll be seen across, the, you know, across Europe and across yeah. the world. So like big names. Well, it's a small one. It's like, for example, Alver- Julian Alvarez, for example, who was, you know, a striker that was a lot of teams wanted, who... You know, only the real scouts would have spotted that from years ago. And then when you, when you, as soon as we learn of them, the scouts would have been, yeah, been watching him for two or three years. You know, they'll, they would have known for years before we do. Mm. Yeah. So that is uh, the answer to your question. Will uh, Village asked a question about um, fighting children, which we don't have time for now, but we'll have a chat about that next week. Um, a battle royale, basically. Uh, yes but there we go guys that has been the Knobcast thank you so much for listening we really hope you enjoyed yourselves if you did then please click follow so you all stay updated for whenever we release another podcast Uh, Gasky good time had by all yeah 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 even though United lost you know I always have a good time on a Monday and who is it United playing next Forest next Forest. Forest at home at and then home. Arsenal away. So hopefully we can have a performance before they have to play Arsenal. Yes. <laughs> Preferably. Oh, yeah. Well, if you can't beat Forest, then there's some real I know, questions need to be asked. Getting, getting battered in North London twice in Fortnite yeah. would be nice. <laughs> and City, I think we go away to Sheffield United. So again, we should be winning that game, but we'll find out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah so Gasky's been Gasky and I have been Nobbins and we will see you guys. Well, no, we won't see you, but you will listen to us uh, later uh, this week. Goodbye, guys.